Y'all, please have a seat. If it's your first time with us, as I shared before, welcome to the Springs. If you've been tracking with us for some time, welcome back. My name's John. I have the joy of pastoring the Springs here. And really, where we are today, if you're joining us, we're working our way through a series here we're calling Goals. The reason we're calling it Goals is we're working our way through 1 Thessalonians. If you don't know much about this book, it's just a book in the Bible where essentially it's a letter written to a church. In this letter, it's a form of celebration and encouragement. So for us as a church body, the reason we're in this series right now and the reason we're calling it Goals is really we're trying to hold up. Hey, these are some of the goals of us as a faith community. These are some of the ways that we pray God Almighty would write to us and encourage us, would celebrate the faithfulness to people just like you. Before we jump into the text, though, I want to share with you guys something. I was thinking about it this week, even in where this text goes. Um, My undergrad degree, I got a business degree. It's in analytic consulting. So think finance with a little management there. Yeah, not that impressive. It meant, essentially, I wasn't good enough to just do finance. I wasn't good enough to just do accounting. I wasn't good enough to just do ops. So I took like the introductory level classes for all of them, and I said, okay, I can sort of do a little bit of everything and then make my way up the rest of the way, right? But I enjoyed that. It was my sophomore year in the school I went to. Uh, You go in, it was a liberal arts school, and then you had to apply to a business school. So there's this big application process. There were these prereqs that you had to take. And I go through it, and I can remember one of the prereqs that I had to take was business strategy. Business strategy. I'll never forget, man. It was a great example how professors make classes. Teachers have the ability to bring things to life. I can remember showing up, and it's in one of these. It was, it was a nicer classroom. It has this stadium seating to where these, these rows, and I had my own name placard. I was new to the business school. I had my own name placards. I'm getting set up, going through the process. I put it in front of me. It said, Mr. John Omquist, right there with the business school seal by it. I'm with all these classmates, and this guy walks in. And right at the beginning, you could just feel the room change. He was all business, and you could tell he was good at it, right? So I can remember him going through and sharing in a way to where he didn't really even care about it, but establishing credibility. He said, hey, I graduated from Princeton, and I got an MBA from Michigan. I've done this all over the country, all over the world. I know what I'm doing, but I can still get better. I'm excited to talk with you. Now, the class was set up, you work through case studies. So we'd basically, Harvard writes out all these case studies, then we would try to study it, see what it is. I didn't go to Harvard. We stole it from Harvard, used their stuff. But I can remember one day, I'm sitting in class. It's this professor I like. I'm enjoying the strategy component to it. And we're working through some case. I don't remember what it was. And he asked a question. And this was a, everyone is graded on a curve. It was a high, intense environment, not real collaboration, high on competition. But I can remember saying, I can answer this. And I can remember I put my hand up, and he's down there, and I'm probably three rows back, but sitting in the middle, I'm kind of nervous, first time speaking in class. And he says, Mr. Omquist. And I go and I give this answer, responding to this business question, this case study, and I talk for what I think was probably about two minutes. I give this background to it, I explain it, and towards the end, man, I land the plane, and literally, here's what went through my head. Killed it. Totally got that right. You all should be impressed, right? That's what I can remember thinking with these classmates, and like, don't worry, Omquist is in business school, be on watch. The professor there, I'll never forget, though, how he responded. It's something that stuck with me 
to this day. He looked at me in that moment as he sat up there and he saw me sitting in the top and he said, hey, let me tell you this. Your answer was right. Took you two minutes to get there. You talked around it and you verbally processed most of the time. You could have said all of that in 20 seconds and we could have moved on. And I can remember just sitting there and it was like he just stabbed me with his knife. Like this hopeful, like, hey, be impressed. All of a sudden what he said was no, it was right. But man, it could have been so much better. Here's what I loved about that moment. In that moment, I sat there, and that was when I began to think, I want to get good at this. Well, whatever this is, this is something I want to grow in. So as he challenged me in the idea of, hey, it was right, but it could be better, it like hooked me, man. Hooked me in probably like prideful ways, but hooked me in terms of, I want to grow in being able to do this and to do it well. Here's the reason I start with that story. So much so, as I was looking at this text this week, is is where we're going. So much of the Christian faith, for many of us, is we come in because we believe in Jesus Christ. We have the right answer. What that means is we acknowledge as Christians we don't work our way to God. God came down to us. I don't have to be a better version of myself for God to finally come and say, John, now I'm proud of you. Now I love you. Now I like you. No. All I have to do is believe I have the right answer. But there's also this beautiful component to Christianity that even though we have the right answer, just like that professor in college, he looks at us and he says, that's right. I want to help you be better. I want to help you grow in this understanding. I want to help you fall more in love with Christ. I want to help this faith in you to mature. Today, y'all, we're going to talk about how Christian love, because we've first been loved by Christ, Christian love for one another makes us better. It improves upon what God is doing. Here's why I think this matters. It's two reasons, and I want to start start with this. If you're a follower of Christ, you got to hear this. Christians, we so frequently get two ideas confused. Identity who I am in Jesus Christ, how because of my faith in him, I am already made a child of the king. I'm loved, I'm an heir, I'm cherished. Right, that's my identity. He makes me new. I don't have to do anything for it. We confuse our identity with improvement. Improvement. The biblical and Christian reality of Jesus Christ, he loves you just as you are. And then his love doesn't leave you as you are. Does that mean the goal of the Christian faith is perfection? Nope, you can't do it. Neither can I. You will stumble your way by the grace of God into heaven. But it is progression. So again, here's why I think this matters. If you're a follower of Christ, what we're not talking about today, we're not going to confuse our identity. He loves you, man. If you believe in him, He's made you new. He looks at you and he sees his son, Jesus, and he's crazy about his boy. So he's crazy about you. He's crazy about me. But then there is the other side of he wants you and he wants me to grow. If you sit in here and you say, well, hey, I'm honestly pretty good as I am. 
This text should be a huge wake-up call to you, a huge one. So that's why I think this matters if you follow Christ. If you're here, though, and you're not a believer, here's why I think this matters. And this may rub you the wrong way, and I don't, I don't mean it to, but it might. There's this idea out there right now through culture that who you are is perfect just as you are. I'm going to say it one more time. Who you are is perfect just as you are. Everything about you is already wonderful. You don't need to change you. The world needs to like you for who you are. Here's something that's in there, because there is this thread of a a half-truth. The half-truth is the idea of who you are. God wants to take just as you are. Like, he doesn't need you to be better in order to come and join what we as Christians would say. It's like a family. He doesn't need that. But here's what's absolutely not true. Who you are could be better, fundamentally better. You'd be better for your family, better for your spouse, better for your kids, better for your job, better for society. Whether you believe in Christ or not, you wrestle with jealousy. We'd say that's not good. Whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not, you wrestle with anger. Anybody got road rage that's not a Christian? All the Christians are like, me too. What I mean by that is you're not perfect. You have room to grow. But what I want you to hear is the half truth. Hey, God will take you as you are, and then he will help you grow. That's why I hope. Lean into this. Hear what we have to say. The place we're going to be is 1 Thessalonians. We're jumping today into chapter 3. Chapter 3, we've been 1 through 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. We're going to talk about how Christian love, it makes us better. Christian love helps us help each other do three things. Embrace exhortation. Experience affliction and endure temptation. So you know where we are in catching up. The church in Thessalonica, it was just in modern-day Greece. The apostle Paul, he was this church leader. He'd gone there. He'd planted. He'd founded this church. He would had to move on. Why? Because they persecuted him and they kicked him out of town. He had to move on. And it's a year later he gets there and he sends a dear friend and minister in the faith back to Thessalonica to check on him. Right? And what we're going to look at today is five verses where, the, where Paul, this, this church leader, he's going to say, here's why I sent him. And the heart behind it's going to be, here was my motive in Christian love. Here's how we as a community care for one another. And what's amazing, too, is so many times, even Christianity, you'll see right here, his goal was not to help make sure that they feel better. His goal wasn't them simply being happy. His goal through this was them being spiritually healthy. That's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for y'all. Let's jump in the text. We're gonna read verses one through two, 1 Thessalonians chapter three. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, that's Paul, he'd gone away. He couldn't wait any longer to hear how this church in Thessalonica was doing. We were willing to be left at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. Why did Paul send his friend? To establish and exhort you in the faith. First point out of this text is what does Christian love do? How does Christian community help one another grow? 
We help each other by embracing exhortation. Exhortation, all that means is a strong, emphatic encouragement. It's like when my wife comes to me and she says, I love you, I'm for you, but I'm going to help you here. Right? And Paul cared so much that he sent his, like, minister buddy. It was like the guy who was in Paul's spiritual foxhole, and he said, I so deeply want to know how my friends are doing that he sent him. So much so he was left alone. And to be left alone could have been killed, isolation, getting connected with others. He's there in Athens. Athens, if you know the story of Paul, has a big role future in his life. Man, because he cared. And he sent him to establish. Man, establish, here's what it means. Same thing with encourage. It means everything you think it does. Strengthen. Put it on a strong foundation. Encourage, build up. And what is he building up? Is he coming to make sure everybody feels good and is happy and the Christian life is doing for them everything they want it to? No. He came to build up their faith. He came to build it up. A lot of times the way I tend to think about it is what God wants us to be, wants us to be, right, is imagine a flagpole. Right, just imagine a flagpole. So you see it, you see them outside of schools or government buildings or a lot of places around here. There's that strong metal pole that goes up, there's the rope that connects it, and then there's the flag itself. Right? A lot of times, Christians, what can happen to me, and I bet what can happen to you, is the faith, it's far more like the flag than it is the flag pole. Here's what I mean by that: it waves in the wind. It blows one direction, it blows to the other. Is it attached to it? Yes, but there's no fixed point, no fixed direction, no substance to it, no strength, no depth, no maturity. And man, if you've been in church, here's what you know far better than me. Maturity far often does not equate with age. Can it? Absolutely. But is there a promised correlation between the two? No. But instead, Paul's saying, hey, we are to be like the flagpole, embracing exhortation. Why? Because there's an honest heart, not so God will love us more, not so we can work our way to heaven, but so you and I, we can be more like Jesus. We can be better. I had a friend of mine in uh, Community group I'm in do this this week, man, and it was such an encouragement to me. We go around, so our, our community group, we meet every week. If, if you're new to the Springs, we have community groups. We meet every week, and every other week, we split up to where it's guys and gals, and the next week, we're all together. This was just guys week, and we go around, and we talk through everything from, hey, how's marriage? How's time in the Word? What is God teaching you? How's work going? How's your spouse? How's your kids? How's all that? And we get towards the end of the meeting. In our group, we recently had this talk of, hey, we want to go to the next level. We want to keep growing. And so this question was asked. Hey, would everybody share what's one way your heart gave way to sin this week? What was one area of your life where it wasn't roses and it's outside of work and it's not just your marriage, but honestly, if we were there, we would have all felt the moment of, hey, that was less than who you want to be in Christ. And we go around 
And my friend shares a moment where he and his wife had a date night. They took a road trip down to San Antonio, and it all happened over navigation. Anybody ever have that fight? Yeah, like he started this, and I was like, oh, no. My wife, she literally just poked her head up. She's like, been in that car ride. Yeah, uh, but they go, and essentially, as you might guess, they get crossed over navigation, and okay, we, we turn here, we don't turn here, in frustration, and he begins to share in thinking back on the week, hey, in that moment. I honestly, it, it wasn't just a reasonable frustration, a minor offense, but man, there was an anger in me, and there was a heart to blame shift and push on her Right, And so we, which all community groups do, a great follow-up question to any moment like that is not repent and all yelling at people. No, you gotta honor the moment. But asking, hey, let me ask you, why do you think that moment bothered you so much? Why do you think that moment bothered you so much? Christians, embrace exhortation. We gotta think at deeper levels. Asked him why, and in his humility, man, he said, I have no idea. I have no idea. But here was his posture right after that. He said, but hey, you guys have been hanging out with me for just, just short of a year. You guys have gotten to know me. You may know me better than myself. Why do you think I did? And in that moment, he invited us, and there's this moment where we kind of lean in. It's like, wait, are you serious? Like, you really want us to tell you? Like, we'll tell you, but you really want this? And man, his humility is like, yes, yes, I want to grow. And man, we sat there in a great way. We talked to him about, hey, it seems like God has given you a lot of gifts. And with gifts comes high competency. When high competency is there, when wrong decisions are made, it's a threat to it. And when threatened happens, what do we do? We try to respond with control. And how does control happen? In anger. And we got to walk him through how the car ride was no longer a car ride. Why? He had a heart to embrace exhortation. He knew that because of what Jesus did, he's good as he is, but he wants to grow to be more church. I wanna do this. I had friends correct me about, hey, John, you are not as good at this as you think you are two months ago. And I wanna change, man. I wanna change, church. We gotta do that. But the first mark of Christian love for one another is helping each other embrace exhortation. Let's jump back into the text. We're gonna look now at the next two verses. We're gonna go verses three and four, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter three. Start at verse three. That no one may be moved by these afflictions. So he's referencing to the, the afflictions that they were enduring, the persecutions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. What does destined mean? Destined. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. That's amazing. Paul moves into town, right? This means that you, you go backwards in time a year. He moves into town, he starts telling about Jesus and then as part of his like stump speech, his rally, his like motivational talk, he says, hey, if you believe this, you will suffer for it. You will suffer for it. And he tells them that at the start. The next thing that Christian love does, the next thing that Christian community pursues is they help one another experience affliction. Experience affliction. 
there's two themes that I want to pull out of here. There's a phrase right there in verse 3 that no one be moved. It has this beautiful imagery. It's the theme of fixed, settled, that we don't waver like the flag. We don't waver. And then, and then afflictions, he's talking about being persecuted for the faith, suffering on behalf of faith, not suffering because of my own dumb decisions. A lot of times people confuse suffering with self-inflicted harm. But suffering because external forces opposing righteousness. When it comes to persecution, especially today, there's, there's a few ways that I like to think about it. Because here's what I want to do, church. I want to do what Paul did. I want to tell you and I want to tell me. We are destined for this. We, we won't have it up here, but 2 Timothy, it has this verse, all those who desire godly lives will face persecution. So for Christians, it's not a question of if or when. We don't ask that question, but we ask how. And you know, much like me, all across the world landscape, the global church experiences affliction, experiences persecution in many different ways. Here's just three thoughts that come to mind for me. Like internationally, I came across an article this past week. It was an article in the New York Times. It was written by a guy, Declan Walsh. Right? He, he wrote it a year ago, but specifically what he was writing about is the situation in Egypt. Right? So here's what I'm not doing. I'm not going political, but man, I am going gospel. So hear this. Egypt, there was an explicit stance for the Islamic State radicalized Muslims in that country wanting to expand in the Middle East. There was an explicit strategy put forward. Like they said, this is what we're going to do. In Egypt, if you don't know this, it's 10% Christian, 90% Muslim, right? And so the stance here is because Egypt is this populous country, it was explicitly, hey, here's what we do. If we attack, if we target the Christians, here's what that does to the rest of the country. There's a social destabilization. Why? Because then Egypt is torn. The, the country's torn between two groups, generally. Those who are in support of the attacks and those who are saying absolutely no. There's no Islamophobia in what I'm talking about. There's an explicit strategy to persecute Christians. Last year, if you remember Palm Sunday, there was a coordinated attack on cathedrals and churches throughout Egypt. Why? Trying to divide a country. How do they want to divide it? Affliction on people because of our faith. Nationally, I came across something recently that, man, it was just amazing. Anybody heard of a California bill called AB 2943? Yeah, don't worry about it. Right? AB 2943. It came out earlier this year. It was put forward in the California state legislature. And here's what its goal was. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you trust in God's word, its goal was to come and say there can be no form of counsel in the areas of same-sex attraction, sexual orientation. There can be no counsel given that would either encourage someone away from or ask questions about, are you sure that's the best thing? 
Here's what the Bible says about this. Gay, straight, sinners in need of God Almighty. And if you're here and if you wrestle with the same-sex attraction or, or bi or wherever you are on a spectrum, here's what you need to know. Welcome, man. My sin is no different than yours, and God Almighty loves you. You can absolutely come and be a part of the faith family and work to grow in it. But church, there is a biblical reality that in the same way in my life, I can't come, and whether it be my greed, my idolatry of comfort, I have to also be consistent with me because I want to help others be consistent with them. And that's where, biblically, we encourage folks towards, I'm not going to argue if your affection leads you that way, but I do want to help you handle the affection, yield the affection to Christ. And for some of you, what that looks like, and now we're kind of stepping into how does the church care for this well? It's deeply personal. It's a tremendously high cost to ask someone to consider. But Jesus Christ is worth it, his word is true, and faithfulness is right. Coming back to the persecution theme. Nationally, we're in California, state legislator, AB 2943. It put forward, you can't as a pastor, why? Because there's a payment of services even from a body. You can't anytime money is exchanged, counsel someone, even if their heart is to not give way to it, you can't do it. There can be no book sales that hold up traditional marriage or how to care for someone in a situation like that. And man, it was moving through the state legislator. And what happened? The church woke up. And, and too, I gotta commend him. The gentleman who put it forward, his name's Evan Lowe. He had the humility to sit down with a bunch of leaders in the church and he had to hear how Christians are not on a witch hunt for someone who's gay. No. Our heart is to purge the evil from amongst us out of a love for Christ, but never to call someone evil in a way that God never did for us. And he heard that, and he withdrew the bill. Why? Because he had hope. Hope why? That people could keep doing it outside of the legislature. Here's what I'm telling you, though. Church, those things are only growing. It's only coming more and more. And then I think about just a personal way. Like per persecution, suffering for our faith here in the immediate context of New Braunfels, man, it can be tricky. It can be hard. What, what does that really look like? It can look like being a physician and refusing to offer certain services and not putting you in a liability and a jeopardy with patients. That, that, that can look like you being single. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, coming to realize Man, I shouldn't be dating. I should not be pursuing marriage with those who don't believe the same things as me. Do not be unequally yoked. And in that moment, going to communicate that to a boyfriend or a girlfriend and them saying, who are you to judge me? And with grace and with kindness saying, I only come with love and humility. This can look like for so many of you being the only believer in a family and showing up at Christmas and being mocked for it. This can look like for some of you being a spiritual leader in a home when the other spouse needs to commit and you endure for it. 
excuse me. Church, persecution looks differently everywhere. But here's our job. How do we now, through God's word, prepare ourselves in advance for the moment when? Because here's the beauty. Paul wasn't coaching them in the moment. He coached them before it came. So the question for you is, if, if we were in Egypt, would you wake up and go to church today? Would you go into cathedral trusting in the sovereign hand of God, knowing maybe there's an explosion? Egypt's about eight hours ahead of us, so a whole group of folks already did. All right, if you're here and you lived in California and the bill comes through, let me ask you, how would you think through that? If you sat there and you went to care for folks, how does that change? How does that sway? How do you love, point people to truth? You don't make everything about sin, but you make it about the Savior. Yet you stand for what you believe. How do you hear when your faith keeps you from going on the bachelorette weekend, which is really a way to give your heart to lust before you even should be there, or go on the hunting trip, which is really an excuse to get away from your wife and get drunk with a bunch of buddies and shoot guns in the woods, and it just be more debaucherous than glorifying to God. What if you said no? And what if they mock you for it? I believe it's worth it. We are destined for this. It's an amazing sales pitch, right? So this book, everything Jesus taught, surely is written by men just trying to coerce the world into what we want to hear. You know where he picked this up? Jesus. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, worse they'll do to you. We don't ask if, but when and how, and we prepare today. Let's look at verse five. Let's look at verse five. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer. So he's talking about his concern to want to exhort them and establish them in the faith as well as to ensure, hey, are you guys enduring the affliction that I said would come for this reason? When I could bear it no longer. I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. The third way that Christian love helps one another, pursues one another, community love builds each other up is we help each other endure temptation. Endure temptation. This text you see Paul saying in response to the affliction, I do believe that there is a tempter. And Paul put it last week, he described Satan as one who hinders. This week he described him as one who tempts. And he says, knowing that a tempter is coming, I had to come and see you. There's a Christian reality that temptation, it's true. There's areas of your life, and in the same way, man, y'all, there's areas of mine where as you get to know me, that some of my entertainment choices, right, some of the movies that I pick on Netflix, and even as you say this, it's so convicting that if y'all came over and you sat in my living room, we went to watch it. I wouldn't go to pick it. But if you weren't there, I might watch it. Man, I want to be integrity. I want to be consistent. I don't want to be legalistic. I don't want to overdo it. But man, this life, I want to give everything, and I want to make no provision for the flesh. 
Paul cared so deeply that this church would believe that and they'd live that, that he sent somebody to inspect it. It's accountability. It's caring for one another. There's this huge idea within Christianity of you left your own devices in the same way me left my own devices. You are far more destructive in what you do than what you think. And how do we help each other? How do we care for one another to avoid the sin in our life and help each other in the other? I got to see this lived out in a huge way recently. I I had a friend who, uh, she actually went with a group of folks here and she went to Washington, D.C. for a weekend. Now, leading into the weekend, she was already physically ill, not doing well, and then right before, she got terrible news. And here's what happened. She goes to D.C., all of that, sends her into a tailspin to where she goes for this event, she comes out, and she went on a $1,500 shopping spree. Why? And bless her, and she gave me permission to share all this, right? It's not because she had $1,500 setting aside in her uh, want money. That, That wasn't it. It was because there she went to do what so many of us can do in temptation. She went to fill a void that only God was meant to comfort. So she came back, she had bags, purses, shoes, clothes. You know who she was met with? She was met with members of her community group, even there in D.C. And immediately a plan goes into effect. Why? Because she embraced exhortation. So they start talking through, hey, how do we return stuff? How do we take stuff back? We can't take it all back, but we can take some. She comes back to Texas, gets connected. She's a part of a community group here. Those who want to pursue her with Christian love, and there's a meeting where she humbly comes and she sits there and they talk through something with her about this. How we fill voids because we all face temptation. She had another trip coming up and the group had a right concern about, hey, how do you steward money well there? knowing it's gonna be another difficult weekend. How do we help you? And one of the friends in the community group turned to her and said, hey, if we make sure you have enough cash for what you need, can we keep your cards? Would you let somebody do that with you? Without a beat, this gal sitting on a couch says, yes, you can have the cards. Why? There's an awareness of sin, there's an understanding of where it can get her, and there's a heart to say, help me. Because of Christ, be more. Gave the cards. Is she perfect in every way? Has life come around in every way? No, she's growing in the same way I'm growing. And there's areas of my life where people in community groups with me and other members are saying, hey, how are you doing in this? How can we help you with this? How are you growing in this? But church, you know what she had? An endurance for temptation. An awareness that temptation is real and a tempter comes. And the humility to say, I won't act like I'm too advanced in my faith to need this. You are not meant to do this alone. And if you think you're doing well, so you know, that should concern you. Those who are standing, take heed lest they fall. Take heed, church. So to recap all of this, Christian love, it helps make one another better because we've been made wonderful in Christ already. It does this in a lot of ways, but three ways through this text. It does it, and we help each other embrace exhortation. 
right? The, the, the application out of embracing exhortation, here's the question. This is what the community group, the leaders of the Springs here helped me with two months ago. Are you approachable? Like, do people kind of spiritually fear you? Oh, spouses. Does your spouse have the view of you of he or she has always been this way? They won't ever change. It's easier to just go along and get along. Or do you embrace exhortation? Church, we must be rebukable. We must welcome it, rebuke. It's not a harsh word. It just means to correct, to turn. The second idea that comes out is what does Christian love do? Helps one another experience affliction. Man, here's something that I'm constantly doing in my head, and I'd commend it to you. Whenever you see moments, whether you're watching CNN or Fox News, and the pundits there that's representing the Christian faith, or they're talking about the bill, or they're talking about the persecution, or they're talking about anything, sit there and ask, how would I respond if that was me? Everywhere from, if I was in the Middle East, and ISIS came, they found me, they kneeled me down, and they laid, they laid the machete on my shoulder. Christ, how would you have me respond? All the way to, to where you're the pundit, you're sitting on the show, and they then ask, you call yourself loving. How can this be loving? This is bigotry. This is hate. How would you, in love, respond? All the way to, when you see friends go through life and they suffer scars, Lord, how would you respond? We must be a people who, just like Paul prepared people in advance, who learn from others, who don't take on the mindset of it won't happen to me, but take on the mindset of what if it did happen to me? And the third one, endure temptation. Is there anyone in your life who can ask you really hard questions? The questions that honestly people don't want to answer, myself included. Do you have that person? And then there's one more step. Does that person know how to take those questions and target them to your specific temptations? So what I mean by that is I have friends who they can ask me anything they want, but they also know, hey, some general areas to ask John about Right, some general themes are, hey, how are we doing with lust? Right, how are we doing and caring for your wife around the house? We'll talk about that in a second. Hey, how are you doing with work in two ways? Not working too much, but also working for the love of Christ, not to see this thing continue. So when they come and they show up, they can find the pressure points. Why? Because God, through them, and his Holy Spirit wants to relieve pressure. Do you have someone who can ask you those questions? Does that someone know what questions to ask you? Imagine if we all lived this way. Imagine if we were all in what I'd call true biblical community like that. Lives would be different. In a God-glorious way, not in a way to work our way to him. There's a theme in Christianity that's true, right? Because of Christ, you are Worthy 
You are worthy. You see this all throughout. Because of your faith, here's what that means for you. Because of what you believed in, when God looks at you, he sees his son and he loves his son. He cherishes his son. He's proud of his son. He likes his son. He wants to spend time with his son. What does that mean? He doesn't just love you. He likes you. He doesn't just tolerate you. He's proud of you. He doesn't just deal with you. He wants to support you. He rewards those who seek him. He loves you far more than what you think he does. Because of him, you, me, we are worthy. But once we come to believe that, once we come to know that is true, here's what's also then true. Because of Christ, we are worthy. And because of Christ, we are in need of work. We are in need of work. Like there's this beautiful picture in your Bible where it talks about because of Jesus, you're perfect. There's perfection in Christ. And then because of it, there's progression of the Christian. Here's all I'm asking, church. Do you view yourself that way? Do you view yourself as I do believe? He knows I love him, but I want to keep going. I've seen this bless me in my life so many different ways, so many. Since moving here, my, my wife and I, our marriage, we moved here about a year ago, our marriage, it's really had the opportunity to what I would say, mature, strengthen, be battle-tested in different ways. And there's been a joy to that. But what that's led to is a lot of great conversations about, hey, how can I serve you? How can I be better? There was four weeks ago or something like that. I was hanging out with my wife, Taylor, and we were talking. And all of a sudden, there was some moment, and honestly, I forget what honestly brought it all up, but to where we have one of those, hey, let's circle up. Let's spend some time talking about our marriage. So we sit at our dining room table, and we're sitting there, and I lean over to my wife, and I just share this. If you could wave a magic wand, you could wave a magic wand and change anything about me. What would you change? You could wave this wand and change anything about me. What would you change? And her answer was not nothing, right? She sat there, she kind of perked up with love in her heart, with grace for me, knowing I'm perfect in Christ, but wanting to help me progress because of a love for Christ. She said, take a list. Got out my phone, I set up a list, and then I went after it. She went through everything from, hey, how you care for our dog? Our dog sheds a ton and that hair goes everywhere. All the way to, hey, your, your dirty clothes, you'll leave them in the bathroom. Right, all the way to, hey, the bathroom itself, you help me keep it tidy, but you don't notice cleanliness. Like there's tidiness and there's cleanliness, or cleanliness, <laughs> right? Cleanliness is like, hey, we haven't scrubbed down the shower this week. Tidiness is like, the shower looks fine, which I'm still working to grow in, right? But she's listing out all these things. But here was her really theme, her theme through it all. And I'm sitting here, and I'm her husband, and I'm connecting with her, and here's really what she's saying. I'm not your mother. That's what she's telling me, man. And she, with sincerity, is saying, I'd change that about you. I wish that wasn't the way it is. I love the man I have. I'm grateful for the man I'm married to, but I'd change that. 
You know what my responsibility is? To honestly try and change. And there's areas of my marriage where by the grace of God, she's seen me strive to repent to where now when we come to it, now when we come to it, we're talking about things like clothes, not about things like, hey, presence in the home, distraction with work, care for me, intimacy emotionally in all the right ways and caring for her at the end of a long day. Because it's been a heart to try and change, and yet what? She said, here's the things I've changed still. Church, man, I will have another conversation with my life like that and I don't know, two months, six months, something like that. They'll keep coming, and why? Because I won't get it all together. I just won't in ways far worse, too, than clothes, but ways in how I treat her and how I care for her and how I lead the family spiritually. But there is a grace in knowing, okay, it's not worse. Church, God cares for your holiness. You're made worthy, but he wants you to go to work. And the things in your life, both the clothes on the floor as well as your attentiveness to him, your commitment to having others who can actually exhort you to where you welcome it. And you don't just sit there and rationalize away your idea being right, but you submit. How you acknowledge this faith has a cost. It's worth it, but it has a cost. And you become honest with others in a way to where you say, you can ask me hard questions. I want to grow. I don't have it all together. That's the church. That's the group of believers that people dream, dream about gathering. Your heart leans into that. Why? Because God's made you for that. He wants you to help us build that. He wants me to be a man who does that in you, a man and a woman who does it. Because of Christ, you are worthy. But because of Christ, you and I, we are in need of work. And out of love for him, let's go, church. Let me pray, and we'll get out of here. Father, man, I thank you for this. I thank you for the reminder in my life, just the truth of your word continuously washing over and saying, John, you are enough, and may I help you grow in being more. I pray you would give peace to folks as they balance that tension. I pray you give peace to folks as they think through, wait, if someone came and leaned into my life, there's serious things. It's not clothes on the floor. It's the affair I haven't told anybody about. It's my control, physical intimidation of my spouse. It's my loose spending with money that's gotten us in more consumer debt than I would ever want to tell somebody. Would your spirit please lead them to know you love them, you're totally enough for it. And you can help them grow out of it and we wanna help them grow out of it. God, we need your help to do that. I need your help to be that. It is in your son's name we pray, amen. Will you guys go? Y'all have a great week of worship. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. See you next week.